Glad you're with us today on Community Matters. You hear us Saturdays on 95.3 WBCK at 8 a.m. Brought to you by Lakeview Ford Lincoln and anytime at Battle Creek Podcast. Dot com. Richard Pyatt here. And yeah, you can go to battlecreekpodcast.com to catch up on an episode you might have missed or maybe uh, share an episode on your social media if you wish to. You are welcome to do that. So we have worked over a number of weeks, as you know, if you've been with us, to really try and hear a number of different voices on either side of the Blue Oval plant that is proposed for Marshall at the Megasite. Today, we welcome Robbie Doobie with Eklund and Blando. He is a member of the legal team for the committee for Marshall, not the Megasite. Robbie, thank you. Thank you for having me. One of the more challenging things with this lawsuit is understanding what in the heck is going on in terms of the procedures involved. And I don't mind saying to folks here on this program, last week we talked about uh, next steps that were happening in later August as opposed to early August. Turns out early August happened anyway, and and uh, we're trying to understand what that all meant. And, and I don't mind saying to folks that sometimes I'm not clear about it either. So, Robbie, please tell us what has gone on in the last week or so, particularly focused on August 9th, in this process. Yeah, so I think it, if it's okay, it helps to kind of take a step back here. Um, what had originally happened, kicking all this off, is the city council passes the ordinance that rezones the land and includes the two appropriations. The committee, um, it's a ballot committee together, circulates signatures, collects signatures. They submit those to the clerk and the city clerk made two decisions. She said, those signatures, a lot of them are invalid because they weren't collected by the ballot committee itself. She also said, you can't refer this kind of ordinance at all. So the litigation entails a, a focus on was the clerk wrong on those regards slash can she even make those decisions? Mm-hmm. And also is the ordinance illegal in and of itself? So setting the stage for that, we brought a petition for writ of mandamus, which is fancy legal words for the government has to do X. So we said the government has to give us a certificate of sufficiency that would allow us to to have a ballot referendum. That's it. So it doesn't say the plan is good or bad or anything like that. It just says, do you have a ballot referendum or not? We also brought a complaint saying the ordinance is illegal for several legal reasons. With that, we brought a temporary restraining order saying, regardless of how this ultimately results, you have to suspend the ordinance for now because the city charter requires you to suspend it when a ballot referendum has been submitted. And the very first thing that happened, the litigation that occurred was not over the ultimate merits of whether petitioner is right or the city is right. It was should we get a temporary restraining order? That is the written order the judge issued saying, no, I don't think that you are entitled to a temporary restraining order. Mm -hmm. Okay. With that, Maida, Ford, uh, a ballot committee, MCJO, um, and the Michigan Economic Development Corporation attempted to intervene. Every single one of those saying, we have a right to be in this case. The court rejected all of them but Maida. And so after that initial hearing where that was rejected, the thing going forward was, okay, now we're going to move on to the merits the substantive merits of who's right. Are petitioners right or is the city slash meta right? We had brought what was called a motion for issue it's a mandamus. The city moved to strike that saying that's not the procedurally proper step. And we withdrew it saying, okay, we're going to try a different procedural step. Had nothing to do with our beliefs on the substance or merits of whether we were right. But in the law, there's procedure. How do you do things in substance? What do you get to do? Right. And so we said, okay, we'll, we'll try this a different route. 
the city and Meta brought what's called motions for summary disposition, basically saying, based on what you said in the petition, in the complaint, petitioners can't win. Doesn't matter what the facts ultimately end up being on the law, you just can't win. So the city and Meta both brought motions. We brought a consolidated opposition because we get the right to respond and say, no, we do win. And not only do we win, we think that we should get summary disposition in our favor because we're right on the law. Under the rules, we would have gotten 20-page responses to each. We consolidated that into a single 39-page brief. That was done in early August, I believe. At that point, the next step was supposed to be that the city and Meta filed a reply brief saying, okay, we've said our piece, petitioners have said your piece, and we still think we're right, and here's why. That was supposed to be filed um, before the hearing on August 9th. What happened instead is the city said, we think there are issues with your brief, and we're going to move the date so you can fix them. And we said, we don't think there are any issues with our brief, and we don't want the date moved. We have this date on August 9th. We've fully briefed it. You've fully briefed it. We're all ready to go. They called the court and told the court, we're moving this to the 30th without checking that that date worked for petitioners. And the court moved it. Then our local counsel, Ellis Bull, emailed the court and said, we didn't agree to this. We didn't even know this date was going to be moved. And the court said, oh, I didn't realize the parties didn't agree. So the clerk said, I'm moving it back to the 9th, and we're going to hear everything on the 9th, because that's what was originally scheduled. And they were trying to move it less than a week before the hearing. Then our local counsel said, also, I cannot do August 18th through um, early September. They then tried to move it to the 23rd a date they knew didn't work for local council. So after the city clerk had said, we're not doing this on the 30th, we're doing it on the 9th, and we're hearing everything like we said we're going to, they tried to move it again to the 23rd. And they said, now everything's going to be on the 23rd, again, without talking to us, after we had said that date didn't work. They also brought a motion to strike to remove the parts of our brief that they thought were improper, right? which is what we had told them is what they should have done. If you think there's something wrong, bring a motion to strike. They brought that on Monday, two days before the hearing. So we did not get a chance to reply to that in writing. We then go to August 9th, and the judge says, you know, what is happening here? You know, I have multiple dates, all these things are flying around. And the city and Meta say, well, it's our motions. We can move them wherever we, whenever we want. We're moving it to the 23rd, and we shouldn't hear anything. To which we respond, look, we're ready to argue. Everything is briefed. This was the date on the calendar, and the city clerk said everything's going to be heard on the 9th. And the judge heard everything on the 9th. He granted our motion to exceed page limits for our consolidated brief. He heard arguments on the motion to strike, even though we never got a chance to write a response to it. And he struck some arguments in some parts of our brief and kept others in. And then he had arguments on the summary disposition motions themselves, which if you will recall, that's their motions trying to say, we lose, petitioners lose. And we said in our response, actually, you lose. So the court heard arguments on all of that on August 9th. He then said, okay, city and Meta, I'm going to give you the reply brief that you are entitled to. You need to give that to me by August 20th. August 20th falls on a Sunday. So I think we're assuming that probably means the 21st. But regardless, <laughs> that, is, that is the next deadline is that on the 20th or most likely then Monday, the 21st, the city and Meta need to put in their reply briefs, which are 10 pages apiece saying why they are still going to win and why we are going to lose. There is a date set on the calendar for the 23rd, but there's no motions to be heard at that point because everything's already been heard. And so it's not clear to us what is the purpose of the 23rd hearing. Um, We're still planning to show up to make sure there's not something that no one's aware of. But at this Mm -hmm. point, despite the efforts to move it unilaterally without working with us, and despite knowing the dates didn't work, the court held them to the August 9th date and heard everything on that date. 
So now we're we're just uh, uh, barreling toward a written decision from the judge. Is that true? That is correct. Of course, either side could still bring various motions um, if they believe they have grounds to do so. But at this point, we're waiting for the judge to issue his ruling on the motions for summary disposition. That could effectively go three ways. One, he could say, City and Meta, you win. You're right. You win. This is done. He could say, petitioners, you win. Actually, I was wrong before. You guys win. We're off to the races on either the petition or the ordinance being legal. He could also do a third option, which is to say, neither one of you wins. He could say, I think there's factual developments that we need here. So I'm going to move this into the fact stage. I don't think either side expects that to happen, but that is an option that the judge could certainly invoke if he, I mean, it's his discretion. But I would suspect a ruling coming down in favor of one side or the other, likely before the end of the month. Okay. It's interesting because one would think, maybe this is a a layman's view, but one would think that the law is written the way it is, and we ought to be able to interpret a final result of this question based on what we have written in the law. But uh, I get the impression, after having spoken to you and, and uh, uh, made us legal team, that there really are differing interpretations of what this law means. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. The petitioner's position, and really the question we see it as, is should the city clerk get to determine your constitutional rights? That's the question. Does the city clerk get to say who can and can't collect signatures constitutionally? And does a city clerk get to say who can or can't have a referendum? If you'll recall, the, the argument the city is advancing is saying the word responsible in the city charter when it says the ballot committee will be responsible for circulating signatures means only the ballot committee can do it. And there's a whole bunch of what's called canons of statutory interpretation. Lawyers use them all the time to say, what does the word responsible mean? Which to a layman, you're sitting here thinking, oh my gosh, we pay people money to argue <laughs> about what the word responsible means, but it really matters, right? <laughs> right? Because if responsible means solely responsible, that's very different than ultimately responsible, uh, something like that, right? Yeah. But beyond that, we've said, even if the city's right on the definition of responsible, which they're not in our arguments, there's a whole constitutional law saying you cannot limit who can collect referendum signatures. It is the zenith of First Amendment protections. The city and Meta have never once ever argued why their interpretation wouldn't violate the Constitution. Now, the other argument is, can you put these appropriations in an ordinance? Because the city charter says you can't refer ordinances that have appropriations in them. We argue the city charter doesn't let these types of appropriations be in this kind of ordinance. So just because you put them in there, doesn't mean it's fine. They argue, well, of course we can put these appropriations in this ordinance, and therefore it's not referable. And so the big question is, yeah, the city charter says what it says, the law says what it says, but how does that apply to the facts here? That's where the parties disagree. Yeah, right. And it, some of the argument from the uh, Meta legal team is there's a precedent on this. It's in Detroit. It's a casino development. And by the way, the judge in his initial written uh, response basically says, I don't know how this goes forward, this this lawsuit goes forward. Maybe you can respond to that and, and help us see the viewpoint that you have. Absolutely. So we did not get a chance to respond to the MGM case at the TRO. And the important thing about the TRO, Temporary Restraining Order, is it's preliminary. 
So the parties don't have time to do the full briefing and just the judge kind of has to make a ruling on the fly. Uh-huh. This time we did get a chance to respond. And there's two really important points here. One is the MGM case is about the Detroit Charter. Right. The Detroit Charter says budgets have to be passed by ordinance. And so when they put an and appropriations under the budget are transferred via the budget process, via an ordinance. So under Detroit, you can't do an appropriation via a resolution. You have to do it via ordinance. The city charter here says the budget shall be passed by resolution. Very specifically different, right? And then it says transfers under section 9.06 of the charter shall be done pursuant to the budgetary process, which is an appropriation, which is a resolution, right? And so they've come and said, well, look, Detroit, 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 there is clear Michigan Supreme Court case law that says it doesn't matter what other city charters say. You have to look at the city charter before you. That's a case called Storolo. And in fact, Meta cites that case in their brief. In that case, plaintiffs were trying to say, well, you know, in this other case, you let this go forward. And the Supreme Court said, yes, but that was under a different city charter. So under our charter, appropriations in Marshall have to be done via resolution, not ordinance, with one exception. That is if it's for a bond, a loan, or if it pledges the full faith and credit of the city. Those can be done by resolution or ordinance. And so therefore, the charter saying, well, you can't refer an ordinance that has an appropriation, that applies to 9.08. But that doesn't mean that you can just slap an appropriation into any ordinance you want because the charter doesn't allow that. And one of the big arguments we make about this is, why would section 9.08 say appropriation or ordinance if you could put an appropriation, I'm sorry, resolution or ordinance, if you could put an appropriation into any ordinance? If that's the rule, why would the charter need to specify that 9.08 could be either way? So we're really arguing about the verbiage of this law, maybe more than we're arguing about whether or not there should be a Ford plan in Marshall. Yeah, that's the really crucial thing here. This has nothing to do with whether there should be a plant or not. The way we see it is this is all about your constitutional right to a referendum. If the city's right, they could put a one cent appropriation into any potentially contentious issue and the people will never get a right to vote on it. And that's the big fear about any of these appropriations is that it would just basically make the referendum right meaningless. So the question people should really be asking themselves is not, do I want the plant or not? But should people have a right to a referendum or not? The way I would see it is that people should say, yeah, let's have a vote on it and then go vote for the plant, right? If you want the plant, good, good for you. If you don't want the plant, good, good for you. That has nothing to do with the issue here, which is, do people even have a right to have a vote? And for some reason, the city is adamant that people shouldn't have or have a right to vote. And interestingly enough, when this rezoning first came up before the Joint Planning Commission, there wasn't an appropriation in it. The city council specifically put it in here. And just so happens, oh, conveniently, that means you don't get a referendum. I think people should look at that with a lot of frustration. And if nothing else, a lot of curiosity. Why do we need the appropriations in this ordinance? Why couldn't they have been passed separately? Why do they have to be here? The only answer we see is because that means you don't get a referendum. As it relates to this particular case, as it stands now, Robbie, the judge made his initial opinion at the time that he uh, decided the uh, temporary restraining order was not necessary. And apparently the interpretation of that opinion for some is this case doesn't rise to the merits that it needs to. 
And your counterparts uh, on the Madel legal team interpret that as saying, and I'm paraphrasing, but the, the quote goes something like this. I don't see how this goes forward based on that preliminary opinion. How do you respond to that? My response is there's a reason it's preliminary. It's because the court hasn't had the benefit of full briefing. The court relied on the MGM case without any recognition of the distinction about the difference of the charter. Also, a very huge part of our argument is over 100 years of Michigan case law says a city clerk cannot weigh in on the legality of a referendum, period. She can't do it. She or he cannot deny on the basis that it wouldn't, it would ultimately not be a legal referendum or not. That is the court's sole purview. And the judge did not address that contention in his order. We made that front and center. We said, Your Honor, you went down this entire path of whether the ordinance is legal or not, but you can't even do that. And we have a case, a 2002 case from the Court of Appeals, where the court specifically says in that one, the Court of Appeals says the trial court, the circuit court was wrong to weigh the legality of the ordinance. And the city clerk was wrong to reject a petition on the basis of its legality. And so we think the fact that the court never addressed that issue at all is very huge here. The court said it didn't need to address the constitutionality issue of the signatures. It does have to do so here. The court relied on the MGM case without noting the difference between the Detroit Charter and the Marshall Charter. And we have another issue about title object here. The law is very clear that construction, building inspections, and site plan reviews are construction regulation. And the definition under Michigan law of construction regulation specifically says it is not zoning calls it out in the definition. It's not zoning. And a big thing the court said is, oh, well, zoning and the site plan review and construction plans, they're naturally related. They're effectively the same subject. But the law says, no, they're not. And we never got a chance to raise that argument at the TRO level. That was only raised in the new briefing. Uh And so I did say at the beginning of the hearing, I had the unenviable task of convincing the judge he was wrong. Right? The judge did rule on some of the merits, but we raised a lot of new arguments and we were able to rely and show case law that we never got the chance to at the TRO that I think shows that the judge's original opinion uh, was mistaken. And so that gives you some momentum to feel confident. Certainly. In the meantime, how does the looming fact that construction is still going on affect this? So if the committee is not successful here, I presume that there is a consideration of appeal, et cetera, but the building's still going up. At least there's nothing stopping that at this moment. How does that affect how you look forward at the potential legal options ahead? The big thing here is if petitioners are ultimately legally right, the city and Meta went forward and forward, went forward at their own risk. They chose to believe that they were going to win. And if they ultimately lose, that's a risk that they're going to have to swallow. If they put up buildings that do not comply with the zoning code, there are consequences for that. But I think the bigger question, and and, and I guess to take it back a step, is if we win at this stage, the ordinance has to be suspended under the charter, period. And in fact, the ordinance was required to be suspended for the entire time the referendum was under consideration by the city. The city has never once confirmed that they actually did that. And from what we've heard about numerous buildings going up during that time, there's a pretty open question as to whether the city complied with the law. That being said, if we win at this stage, the ordinance is suspended, period, until the vote. 
right? And so that would halt any construction going forward as a natural consequence, construction relying on the zoning. There are certainly constructions that can occur that are not relying on zoning of being industrial. If petitioners lose, they certainly have the option to go to the appellate route. We have no doubt the city of Meta will take that route if they lose. But if the petitioners lose, there's certainly the option of going to the appellate route. And there's, there's numerous considerations there. Some of it is how will that long-term affect this rezoning, but some of it is what are our constitutional rights going to be? Looking past this Ford plant, in the future, will your children have the right to a referendum? If petitioners lose and you can slip a one cent appropriation into anything, the answer is no, you won't. And even though it's on the books, there will be no real right to referendum. And the city will have gotten away with violating petitioners' constitutional rights to collect ballot signatures with no repercussions to that. So I think that that's pretty serious concerns that a lot of people should be thinking, even besides the plant and construction going up, what are your constitutional rights? Because at the end of the day, that is what this case ultimately comes down to. This is an election law case. And the merits of the plant, whether you like it or not, whether you think it's environmentally good or not, whether you think it's going to be jobs or not, that's not what this case is about. Despite made in the city repeatedly trying to make it that, it's about an election law case. It's about your constitutional rights. It's about, does the city clerk get to decide what your constitutional rights are? So let's suppose the committee is victorious here and there will be a referendum. What I understand is if you wanted that referendum on the ballot in November, all the T's and I's need to be crossed and dotted by by now, the middle of, of August. Now, yes. uh, I would say that I don't know that for sure because I've asked the clerk that and she's not responded to me. So I'm asking you because maybe they've told you. <laughs> Our understanding and interpretation of the charter is that oh. August 15th would have been the day we needed a decision. And then the city council would have had to approve the ballot language to get it printed in time. Now, at the hearing, Meta and the city argued that they could hold a special election at any time. Our review of the charter doesn't indicate that that's correct, but we haven't dedicated a tremendous amount of time to researching into that. Mm -hmm. So at this point, you know, assuming a ruling comes within this month, my understanding is that we'd be looking at the February primary elections um, as the next elections. But again, that's something that Ellis Bull would have a bit more insight into, having done more of these election law cases around the state. Mm -hmm. uh, but yes, our understanding is there's not going to be a vote by the November ballot. And, and yeah. that was something that was very surprising to us that made in the city was trying to delay to the 23rd or the 30th, it's, which is, if you think you're going to win on the merits, why are you trying to delay, right? If you're coming and saying, we're going to win and petitioners have no shot, why are you trying to buy yourself as much time as possible to respond to what we have to say, one? And two, why, if you do lose and you force this to go to an election three months later, that's three more months the ordinance is suspended. So all the, the attempts to move it to the 23rd and 30th simply didn't make sense to us. If anyone, you would think that petitioners wanted to delay as long as possible to give us the most chance to do all the legal briefing we could. So that was very strange to us. The point is then, if the committee is victorious here in August, as you say, sometime before the end of the month, we should have a determination from the judge, then construction would stop, right? Construction relying on an industrial three zoning would stop, uh -huh. right? My understanding is there's other construction that was acceptable under township zoning, which is what it originally was, but the I-3 reliant construction couldn't go through because there would not be I-3 
zoning until unless and until a referendum failed. Uh huh. So in the meantime, is there a way around all that legally that would resume the construction? Well, the city charter mandates suspension of the ordinance in the event that a certificate of sufficiency on a referendum is put forward. And so Maida and the city would somehow have to make an argument that the city charter shouldn't apply. I don't know. I'd almost think Maida would have to sue the city to say, you can't enforce this provision against us despite the law requiring you to. That gets very strange and messy to me. Right. Um, I haven't really, I guess, explored that too much, but I- I'm not aware of a mechanism to stop that besides holding a special election and doing it as quickly as possible if the charter allows that. Well, my head's spinning a little bit, <laughs> uh, but uh, really do appreciate the uh, viewpoint and uh, and an update on what's been going on over the last uh, several days since our last program. At this point, if the committee is not victorious, we presume then that you've already begun to think about what your options are, uh, the appeal options and so on. Yeah, I, I can't really discuss what my conversations with my clients have been, but an appeal is certainly an option, and we feel that we are very clearly correct on the law. And so if if the court at this stage uh, rules differently, we would feel that a court of appeals would, would not rule the same way. There has been no decisions at this time, I guess is what I'll say. Right. Fair enough. Well, uh, as these developments uh, warrant, perhaps uh, we'll have the opportunity to talk again and have uh, some some further endpoint and and viewpoint from where you sit. And we appreciate that. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Robbie Doobie, Eklund and Blando, member of the legal team for the committee for Marshall, not the mega site, on Community Matters. The committee's ultimate goal is to schedule the referendum. I can't imagine what the set of facts is that would would stop this at this point. I hope I'm wrong. I hope that they are successful. Instead of workers in China building the batteries, we've got Marshall, Michigan employees building them. We want to be good neighbors. Your go-to on the Marshall Megasite, Community Matters, from Lakeview Ford Lincoln, 8 a.m. Saturdays on WBCK. Catch up now at BattleCreekPodcast.com.